um, did things in pubs before where he's just booked it out and people have come and he's talked about Jesus. He's done a whole lot and uh, he's a great man of wisdom and intelligence and that's what we love. So let's give a massive round of applause as we welcome Simon Greening. Thank you. Hi everyone, great to be back um, tonight. Done things in pubs. That's true, I have done things in pubs. Um, all sorts of, anyway, um, let's get into it. I've got something fresh tonight that I'm excited about sharing, but let me just pray and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, I just thank you ahead of time for what you wanna say to my friends here tonight. Lord, I thank you ahead of time for what you wanna speak into my life and to all of our lives. Lord, wherever we are tonight on our journey, God, take us forward with you. God, we just bless you and thank you for your word. Amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, I wanna take us back to the Old Testament tonight to share a story which comes out of Jeremiah 32. And um, I would have it up on the screen, but I was too disorganized. So just listen with me. Jeremiah 32, verse one, here we, here we go. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was in the prison. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Jeremiah, why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle is gonna come to you while you're in prison and say, Jeremiah, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and your duty to buy it. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin came to me in prison and said, Jeremiah, Buy my field, forget the market, at the Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I brought the field from my cousin and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed, had it witnessed, and weighed out the silver on the scales. In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay, sorry, a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, houses, fields, and vineyards will be again brought in this land. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord, Ah, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And then he goes on to a prayer, which I'm gonna talk a bit, a bit about tonight. You may have heard of a famous pastor who was executed um, during World War II in 1945. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was arrested by the Gestapo in April 1943. He was a pastor, he was a prophet, he was a theologian. He lectured in the University of Berlin. But ultimately, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo because he was part of a plot to assassinate Hitler. He believed it was the duty of every Christian to do whatever they could to um, 
take out Hitler. And when Hitler came to power in January 1933, Bonhoeffer was opposed right from the start. He was courageous enough to get on radio and completely denounce the scheme. Hitler um, heard of Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor, and was determined really from the start um, to, um, to do whatever he could to close down churches and to close out Christianity completely um, in Germany. Bonhoeffer spent a year and a half in a concentration camp in Germany, and on 9th of April, 1945, um, he was executed by hanging. Amazingly, while Bonhoeffer was in prison, his faith remained strong, and he wrote a bunch of letters, very famous letters, you can, you can, and they were collected, and you know, today these letters inspire um, a lot of people. In 580 BC, Jeremiah was put in prison. He was put in prison by King Zedekiah, which we're reading about tonight. He, king Zedekiah was the king of Judah. The Babylonian Empire had come to power. In fact, they were actually um, at the gates of Jerusalem, laying siege to the gates of Jerusalem. And King Zedekiah did not like Jeremiah because Jeremiah prophesied and said to King Zedekiah, guess what, uh, King Zedekiah? God has sent the Babylonians and they're gonna invade Jerusalem. They're gonna burn the city to the ground. They're gonna burn the temple to the ground and they're gonna take you into captivity and along with all of the Jews, all of Israel, the people of Israel, they're gonna go into captivity. And King Zedekiah said, Jeremiah, you've got it all wrong and I'm gonna lock you up and put you in prison. And while he's in prison, a word comes to Jeremiah that says, Jeremiah, your cousin's gonna come to you while you're in prison and I want you to buy a field. Why, Jeremiah? Because I'm gonna make a promise right now that the, that the people of Israel, one day they're gonna to return to this land. And I want you to buy a field because one day the people of Israel are gonna to return to this land and they're gonna plant vineyards and they're gonna build houses and I want you to, in faith, buy a field tonight. Bonhoeffer and Jeremiah one lived in World War II, one lived centuries before in 540 BC, but they were both remarkable men who found themselves both in prison, both really for doing what they believed God was wanting them to do. For Bonhoeffer, Hitler had come to power, the church was being closed down, the persecution of the Jewish people was about to begin. World War II was, was at foot. For Jeremiah, the Babylonian Empire had come to power, they were at the gates of Jerusalem laying siege, and yet despite their extraordinary circumstances, both Bonhoeffer and Jeremiah demonstrated amazing faith in God. And the question I wanna to ask tonight is this. Because of, this, of the dark, difficult circumstances both Bonhoeffer and Jeremiah faced, I wanna to suggest tonight they had to confront a question that we will all confront on our faith journey at some point. Maybe we'll confront this question time and time again. But here's the question, is it possible to still trust and hope in God even when he doesn't act in accordance with my expectations of how I think he should act? Is God still trustworthy? You see, it wasn't just Jeremiah and Bonhoeffer who wrestled with this question, can we still trust in God? Both of us are in prison, Jeremiah and Bonhoeffer. Can we still trust in this God? There was another person, in, of course, in Jeremiah's story, and that's King Zedekiah. At the tender age of 21, he, was, he became the king of Judah. And he had a strong faith right from the beginning, but the pressure was on King Zedekiah. In fact, he had to manage all sorts of complex political alliances right from the outset. From age 21, he was the king of Judah. He reigned for 11 years. But here's the thing about King Zedekiah, he didn't finish well. He lost his way with his faith. He rejected God's word to Jeremiah, 
He imprisoned Jeremiah, and he refused to see God at work despite the circumstances. So the question is, how is it this great king, Zedekiah, who came to the throne at the age of 21, how is it that he started so well but finished so poorly? I went to a youth group sometime back in the 60s, and you know, the, I remember some of the, 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 the friends of mine who I went to youth group with by the time they had kind of got into their 20s, I think about some of them. Now, life started to happen. They got into their 20s, they got into their 30s. Circumstances, difficult circumstances came their way, challenging life events. And as those circumstances and challenging life events came their way, they started to kind of pack their bag in terms of their faith and put their faith to one side. Yeah, yeah. And today, some of my friends who I, I think about and I pray for still, have really turned their back on God, turned their back on church. The circumstances of life became too much. So I want to really ask the question tonight, how is it that we can still hope in a, in a faithful God? How can we still put our faith and our trust in him even when he doesn't act according to what, how we think he should act? And particular tonight, I want to compare two people in the story. There is Jeremiah and there is Zedekiah. And the first thought I have tonight, I've got three thoughts. The first thought is this, is to... Look up, verse 17. So Jeremiah prays this amazing prayer, which we're gonna talk about tonight, while he's in prison. And the first part of that prayer is verse 17. He says, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You know, if you wanna know what someone believes about God, listen to their prayer. The prayer of, you know, your prayer reflects what you really believe about God. The prayers we pray suggest what we believe. And Jeremiah's prayer is founded on these two, these two fundamental beliefs. One, God is the creator, and two, God is sovereign. They were the kind of the foundations of his prayer life. Whatever circumstances I face, God, you are the creator, and you are sovereign. And here is, the, here is the logic of Jeremiah's prayer. God, if you are the creator and if you are sovereign, then there is nothing that's too hard for you. So the belief that God is creator means God is all-powerful. The belief that God is sovereign means God can use his power to do anything he wants, if he wants, when he wants, how he wants. I was at, um, what does this idea of sovereign mean? I was at BBI recently they'd asked me to come and do a little presentation to the kids about how law is made in New Zealand. And I think most of the kids were kept awake um, during my little presentation. And, uh, you know, most people think in New Zealand that the law is made by parliament. You know, parliament passes these bills. But actually, the law is made by one lady in New Zealand who, is the so who represents the sovereign, and that's the Governor-General. That's Dame Patsy Reddy. So it doesn't matter what parliament thinks the law should be, until they take it to government house and they put the bill on her desk, she gets out her pen literally and she gives the bill royal assent and signs off, it is not law. That's incredible power the sovereign has in New Zealand. And I was thinking about this idea, the sovereign has extraordinary power. And you know, a number of my Christian friends, the reason they lost their faith, I think, is that they could accept the fact that God is the creator, they could not accept the fact that he's also sovereign. You see, Jeremiah, if he had only accepted the fact that God was creator, then his prayer would have gone something like this. God, you're the creator. Now, why don't you stop the Babylonians invading Jerusalem? But that wasn't his prayer. See, the, the question people often ask is, if God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he do this? Or why doesn't he stop that? 
Despite not understanding what God was doing by allowing the Babylonians to invade, he nevertheless accepted God's plan. You see, the opposite to looking up, the opposite to believing that God is sovereign and God is creator is to look within. You see, in our society today, we're told essentially that, that, the, that the, look within, you've got the power within you. And of course, you know, we have in, you know, we have kind of this kind of plethora of mindfulness movements now, which kind of teach us how to kind of look within and, and, and so on and become mindful. And, and I think we can learn some things from these types of movements. But the fundamental point is, the challenge for all of us is to not look in, but to look up. To look in, as my friend once said, is to like throwing the anchor within the boat. Um, that's the challenge, to look up. God, you are sovereign, and God, you're the creator. You are all powerful, and I don't know what you're gonna do with your power, but I trust that you've got the right plan anyway. When God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, come outside and count the stars. Abraham, if you can count the stars, so shall your offspring be. It was not because God wanted Abraham to count stars. It was because Abraham, Abraham, God, he wants to say to Abraham, God, I'm, I'm, I'm the creator, God. I am the creator, Abraham. You can trust me. And that was God's word to Jeremiah. People who finish their faith strong, I think, look up, believing that God is sovereign and God is creator. The second point is this, to look through, to look through, verses 18 and 19. You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct as their deeds deserve. You perform signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind. You have gained the renown that is still yours." We can spend our whole life looking at events and seeing them nothing more than just events or circumstances, or we can spend our lives doing what Jeremiah did, looking through the event and through the circumstance to see God at work. You see, the fundamental difference between Zedekiah and Jeremiah is Zedekiah let the circumstances he was facing in 580 BC shape his beliefs about God. Jeremiah let his beliefs about God shape the way he viewed the circumstances he was facing in 580 BC. Zedekiah looked at the events unfolding and saw it just as an invasion. Jeremiah looked through and saw God's purposes, God doing a great work in the story and the people of Israel and what he was doing. There was a, there was a wider context. There was a story unfolding. A person who looks through events to see God at work, despite whatever circumstance you're facing tonight, whatever event you're, you know, you're facing tonight, it's the person who sees God and his nature and accepts that God's nature is more like a beautiful abstract painting than a maths formula. There is a mystery to God's character that we actually just can't explain. There is a mysterious aspect to his ways. And I suggest tonight that actually Zedekiah lost faith when he thought that God would act in accordance with his formulaic view of how God should act. Because what does he say to Jeremiah? Jeremiah, don't tell me that your prophecy is right. Don't tell me that God, the God who is the creator, why would he allow the Babylonians to invade? See, Zedekiah's faith was built on an assumption as to how God was supposed to work. Jeremiah's faith was built on acceptance that God's ways are sometimes mysterious. I, um, I like that, that famous children's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And uh, 
there is a great moment in the story. Aslan is the lion, and of course, um, Aslan represents Christ in the story. And there is a great discussion between Mr. Beaver and Susan about Aslan's nature. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion, said Mr. Beaver. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And I love the point that Mr. Beaver makes. Course he isn't safe, but he's good. You know, sometimes we want a safe God, a God that we can control. Zedekiah wanted a safe God, a God that he could control. Zedekiah says, why won't God conform to my will? Jeremiah says, I will accept God's will. Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. You may not like maths, like me, I do not like maths, that's why I went into law, because there's no numbers. And, um, but, Pascal was a famous mathematician. You may remember some of his famous theories, I don't. Um, And he was a famous French mathematician, And he was born in 1623, and he was a Catholic, and he had a very kind of analytical faith, Pascal did. Um, But that was until 23rd of November, 1654. At about midnight, Pascal had a radical encounter with God. The mathematician who was the analyst who who believed that he could kind of control God, and and faith was this this thing he could kind of put in a a box and, and keep it locked away, Pascal actually recorded this encounter, and the story goes that he recorded it on a piece of paper, and then he sewed it into his coat pocket, and, and that's why um, they, they, they found it um, all these years on, and it was a quote that was discovered after his, after his death, and it was basically a record of what happened that particular night, and this is what he records. The year of 1654, Monday the 23rd of November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half past midnight, Fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned, certitude, feeling joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, joy, tears of joy. And I love this moment because this moment in Pascal's life transformed his faith radically. He had encountered God himself. He had encountered, he used to have this logical faith that kind of seemed to all map out, but then he had encountered the mysterious God, a, a God that he couldn't quite explain, but it had touched him right in the depths of his soul. You know, sometimes people lose their way with their faith, like Zedekiah, it's because they struggle to come to God to terms with this idea of the, the mysterious nature of God's ways. But I want to suggest tonight that looking through looking through the event and looking through the circumstances means trusting in a God who is not safe, but certainly good. And the third thought I have tonight is not only to look up and not only to look through, but to look forward and back. You know, Jeremiah believed that God's character was multidimensional. Here's what he prays. You brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders. You gave them this land and you swore to their ancestors it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. They came and they took possession of it, but they did not obey you. So you brought disaster on them. See, Lord, how these siege ramps are built up take the city, uh, to take the city because of the sword, the famine, and the plague, but the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, 
um, as you now see. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. You see, Jeremiah believed that God's character was multidimensional. Zedekiah believed that God's character was one-dimensional. Zedekiah asked the question, why would God allow the Babylonians to invade Jerusalem? In contrast, Jeremiah looked back over Israel's history and he said, you know, he said, God, you are loving, but God, you will also hold your people accountable for their sins. There will be punishment. God, you are a God who loves and you're a God who also brings judgment. You're a God of grace, but you're also a God of accountability. Jeremiah had accepted that that the multidimensional aspect of God's character. And the people I have traveled with in my life in terms of my own Christian journey have often overemphasized one element of God's character and kind of spun out of control when things didn't go right in life. You show love to thousands, but you punish sin. You rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, but you also punished them because they rejected you. The challenge is to hold in tension the different character traits of God. And that can be difficult. Vedran Selimich was a famous cello player. He lived in an apartment in Sarajevo in 1992. And this is a, this is a tr true story. I mean, you have to ask the question, I'm a lawyer, so not everything I say is true. And on May the 27th in 1992, he's playing his cello. Um, and you gotta understand the context here. The Bosnian War was, 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 at, was, on, was on, was happening, and snipers everywhere, bombs being dropped. And while he was playing his cello on May the 27th, 1992, a bomb dropped, and he looked outside his apartment window, and um, it, it basically bombed and killed these 22 people that were lining up to get some bread. And, um, and he was so shattered by this event that he decided to take his cello and every day, for 22 days straight, he would walk out amongst the snipers firing above. He'd walk out into the ruins of Sarajevo, the city that had been bombed out, snipers above, and he would play a famous G minor cello concerto while the bombs dropped around him and while the snipers fired from above. The story actually goes that at some points, the snipers would stop their fire just to listen to him play his cello in these war ruins. There's a famous book that's been written about um, Vedran and what he did. And every day he would just go, to, go back to his apartment and the next day he would go back down again. And he just wanted to try and bring hope to this war-torn, ruined um, city. And I sometimes think that faith is a bit like that. Vedran playing his cello amongst the ruins of war, I think faith looks like that sometimes, you know, despite sometimes the most difficult circumstances in your life, a really dark time, it's like, God, all I can do is kind of get out really and play my cello, all I can do is just stand here with my basic faith. You know, Bonhoeffer found himself in prison, Hitler had come to power, and all he could do was, was write some letters that were ultimately um, smuggled out by, by prison guards who were sympathetic to Bonhoeffer at the time. All he could do was write, write some letters. Jeremiah was locked away in prison for doing what he believed was God's will. All he could do was do, okay, God, if you want me to buy the field, I'll buy the field for, for the 17 shekels. That's all I can do. And sometimes that's what faith is. In the midst of our circumstances, it's saying, God, I will do what I can do in my circumstances and why did Bonhoeffer and Jeremiah ultimately continue to grow 
Why did their faith continue to grow stronger despite the circumstances? Because both of them looked forward. You see, Jeremiah did two things. He looked back. He could look back over Israel's story and realize that God's character is multidimensional, but he was also able to look forward and believe in hope that one day God would actually return the people of Israel to the land, and on that basis, he bought a field. You see, the easiest thing to do as a Christian is to believe. The hardest thing to do is to act on your beliefs. It's one thing to say, God, one day, yes, you will return the people of Israel to this land. It's another thing to spend your money to make the sacrifice, even though the Babylonians are at the gate about to ransack the city, I'm gonna make the dumbest purchase ever and buy a plot of land. The hardest thing to do as a Christian is not to believe, it is to act on your beliefs. The challenge for all of us is not just to look back. God, I'm gonna trust in your multidimensional aspects of your character. God, I'm gonna also look forward and I'm gonna act on my beliefs. I'll just get the band up for a moment. Let me just... um, guess wind up tonight, but because this particular prayer of Jeremiah's, and, and it's, it's located in a, in a, you know, obviously in, in Jeremiah chapter 32, and I, I encourage you this week to read this prayer for yourself. I mean, I, I love this prayer, and it meant a lot to me, because in a few days, my 38th year on planet Earth will, uh, will come to an end, and, um, and as I look back on my 38th year, I think this has been the most difficult year of my life. And um, I, I'm not gonna share tonight, it's not appropriate to share tonight, but in February this year, I faced the most significant crisis I've ever encountered. And I was thinking, my gosh, what? How am I gonna get through this, number one? And number two, what do I really believe about God? Because all my life I've preached and I've been in ministry. These days I'm, I'm also in, out there doing um, in legal practice and I thought, God, I'm not sure, gosh, what do I believe about you as I face this personal crisis that I don't have any answers to right now? And this prayer of Jeremiah's came up in my quiet time. I I read one of these Bible daily readings and, you know, read the Bible in a year, the deals. And um, and Jeremiah 32 was on my hit list on that particular day, and I I was reading through it. And that's why I really wanted to preach on it tonight, because I want to say tonight, whatever circumstances you're facing, Whatever difficulties you're facing, I just said to God, our sovereign Lord, you are the creator and you're all powerful and I'm not happy with what's happening, but I need to trust in you. And I struggle with the sovereignty of God. I think as human beings we do because we like to be in control. Show me a human being that doesn't like to be in control and I'll show you someone who's not human. And I said to God, God, help me to, to look up. Because you see, at that moment, I kind of like looked within. And you know, I looked within and I thought, man, my, the, the gas tank is on, the light is on. There is nothing inside of me here. I'm totally empty. And I'm a kind of a, a reasonably self-motored kind of, you know, driven type person. But for the first time, I had nothing. I was totally empty. I was like, okay, look up. God is my creator. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Hey, Simon, look through. What is God, what is God teaching you through this? God, what, God, help me to trust in you. You are totally mysterious. I don't know why this has come upon me. And one day, perhaps, I will share from the pulpit this, a bigger story about this. But, but also, God, help me to look forward here and to believe that I can get through this. Because at that moment, I thought I couldn't actually get through it. And you think, man, I'm totally stuck. 
and I just don't know if I can, I can get through. And so I want to encourage you tonight. Look, I don't know what you might be facing or whatever challenges you're going through. Maybe you're not going through anything at this moment. But I encourage you with whatever life looks like for you, I encourage you to get into Jeremiah, to take up this prayer and read it yourself and reflect on old Jeremiah. The thing that I finally want to say tonight is, you know, the thing that got me was I felt like I was in a prison. And do you know what? The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah while he was in prison. God spoke to Bonhoeffer while he was in prison in World War II under Hitler's regime. And no matter what prison you might feel like you're in, because sometimes you're in a psychological prison, you feel, God, where the heck are you? You've kind of, you know, there's just like a bronze heavens. There's nothing from God. And sometimes you might feel like you're just in a circumstantial prison. Stuff is just totally out of control. But the word of God can come to you whatever prison you're in. Emotional, psychological, physical, whatever it looks like, God's word can come to us in our prison and give us hope. Lord, I thank you for all of my friends here tonight. God, I just pray, Lord, that we would have the response of Jeremiah, that, Lord, whatever circumstances we're facing, we'd look up, Lord, and we'd see a sovereign God who knows exactly what he's doing. You are the creator, and we can trust in you. Help us to look through, God, and to see you at work. Help us to look through and see you at work, Lord, and to look forward and to to look back and to trust in your character, even though we struggle sometimes just to understand your ways, Lord. Help us to trust you. Bless my friends. Church, I'd like to just pray one more prayer tonight. And I just want you to keep your eyes closed and your heads bowed just for a moment. What a powerful word. And I think maybe a word in season for some people here today. And uh, I just want to pray one last prayer. And it's, it's a very simple prayer. Um, it's a prayer of surrender. Um, if you're here today and maybe you don't know Jesus, um, we would so love to extend an invitation to you to come to know Him. The truth is that God loves you. God made you. He's creator and He is sovereign over your life. We all mess up though. We all sin. We all fall short of God's standard. And that sin, that separates us from God. But God in His amazing, amazing grace sent His own Son, Jesus, to die on a cross. When He died on that cross, He took upon Himself what you and I would do for our sin. And He extends to every one of us today His free gift of grace, forgiveness for your past, new life that begins right here, right now, hope for your future, and eternity with Him in heaven. And I would love to extend the invitation tonight. If you're here and you don't know Him, you don't know God, or maybe tonight you'd be honest and say your life is very far from Him. You've, you, you've known Him before, but you're far from Him now. And today's a day for you to get your life right with Him. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer. And if that's you tonight, I invite you just to pray along with me. You can pray it in your heart. You don't have to pray it out loud. I'll pray it out loud. You just follow along with me and pray it in your heart, but you just mean it with everything you've got. Just say these words. Say, God, today I surrender my life to You. I know that I've sinned, I know I've messed up, but I believe Jesus, you died for me. So right now, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come in and be the Lord of my life. I choose from this day to live for you. Come and make me brand new today, in Jesus' name. Just wave your eyes, still closing head bowed. If you prayed that prayer tonight, uh, I I wanna encourage you to do one simple thing. It's just a small, step of faith. Uh, I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I don't want to 
make you do anything you don't want to do or make you uncomfortable, but I do want to encourage you tonight to take one little step of faith. What I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, uh, if you pray that prayer and you meant it, you're serious about that, you're saying, Sevia, count me in. That's me, man. I want to get my life right with God tonight. On that count of three, all I want you to do is shoot your hand up nice and high so I can see it, and then you can pop it straight back down. Like I said, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just want to help you. I want you to take a little step of faith. Ready? One, two, three. Hand up nice and high. You're saying, Steve, that's me. Count me in. Yeah, I see you. Yeah, my man, I see you too. Anyone else saying, Steve, count me in. I want to know. I want to get this, this, this journey started with God. Amazing. God, we thank you so much for those who've responded tonight. God, we bless them in Jesus' name. I pray may new life come to them now in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. Let's congratulate all those ones who said yes to Jesus tonight. So amazing. Can we also thank Simon Greening for an incredible word.